0: I have the privilege now of introducing one of our elders who will be preaching uh, today. Uh, Dr. Dr. Paul Grants is a man who knows the scripture, and he's just a blessing. And a number of years ago, I had the privilege of uh, actually getting to meet him and then introducing him to a pastor over in, in Laramie, and God has done some amazing things, but Paul Grants was actually an interim pastor here at this church before the church had its revitalization. And we're so thankful for all that God has done in his life. Paul Grants is a man who knows the scripture and cares very deeply about it. And so with uh, our pastor, Pastor Carl is gone today. Uh, He is out of town. Next week, though, he is going to jump back into the series that he's been preaching on the book of 1 John. And so we'll be in 1 John chapter 3, partway through the passage there. But uh, today, we have the privilege of hearing Paul Grant. So Paul, would you please come forward? And uh, Paul's going to read the text this morning and lead us in prayer. Thank you, brother. Thanks, brother.
1: I couldn't believe that neither Nathan nor Troy wanted to read the, the passage. I mean, it's only two chapters. I don't know. Um you know I, I as I get my notes here the um my wife was and daughter came home from the women's retreat yesterday and um and uh they told me they said you know we we said all kinds of stuff about you um I thought about that for a while, and I thought you know that uh, I finally came to the conclusion that I should probably uh the right thing to do, the Christian thing to do, was to tell all the women at the retreat that um, I love my wife very much, she's a great mother, she's a, a great wife, she's a great grandmother, but she rarely tells the truth. Um, so I just, want, I just want you to keep that in mind uh, as you think about anything she might have said. This damage control, honey, sorry. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um the, the women's retreat, it sounded like it went really well. And I was thankful for that, that God kept everybody safe and helped you all have a good time. Uh, I, I just want to start off by reading John chapter 13, verse number one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us in your word. What a special time this is, Lord, as these men gather together with you uh, before your crucifixion. Lord, we're thankful that we can read about it and and see what goes on in the upper room. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless us as we read through your word. And Lord, as always, help us to learn something from this precious book. Every time we open it, that will better equip us to serve you it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, we're we're celebrating the Lord's table today as we do the first Sunday of every month. And we talk about it every month, but I thought it might be interesting to see other things that went on in that room that night. Uh, John chapters 13 through 17 cover less than a 24-hour period. Um, And more specifically, chapters 13 and 14 take place in the upper room. Uh, during the Passover. Um, and so I thought it might be interesting to look and see some of the other things that may have gone on during that time in that room that, that we may not consider. And I wanted to start in this verse because this verse sets the key, sets the stage, is the key, and sets the stage for the rest of these two chapters. It says that before the Feast of the Passover, Jesus realizing that His hour was come... Jesus' hour had finally come. The time had come for our Savior to do what he came to this earth to do. The cross isn't mentioned here per se, but you can see the shadow of the cross across the room as they meet together. The significance why, why would why 13.1 say this? Well, until now, Jesus' time had not come. If you think back through Jesus' ministry in the book of John and, and referenced in other places, it hadn't come. Jesus was asked to do things, or, they, or, or people hated him and wanted to kill him. But it, it, the Bible tells us that his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 2 and verse number 4, Jesus is talking to his mom. His mom said, hey, there's no wine at this, at this marriage feast. And Jesus says, woman, what has that to do with me? Mine hour is not yet come. His hour was not come. He was not there to make himself known to everybody. In John chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000, these people realized, they said, oh man, this guy's the prophet. This is him. And the Bible says that when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. He took off. He got out of there. It wasn't his time to be forced into being a king. In John chapter 7, before the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus' brothers tell him to make himself known as the Messiah. Do it out in public to make it known. In John chapter 7 of verse 6, Jesus says, My time is not yet come. In that very same chapter, in chapter 7 of verse number 30, the Bible says they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. It says the same thing in John seven forty four. They didn't lay hands on him because it wasn't his time. But now it was His time. His time had come. And Jesus was aware of this. He knew it. Back in one chapter in John chapter 12, in verses 23 and 27, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Down in verse 27, He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me for this hour, but for this cause came I to this hour." Jesus knew why he was here. He had been sent to earth to pay the price for mankind, and he knew that time was, was now. It was, it was there. But on the eve of the hardest, most agonizing time in Jesus' life, who did he want to spend it with? At the end of uh, verse number one, it says, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved his disciples. He wanted to spend his time with them. They were his own. In John chapter fifteen and verse sixteen, Jesus says, "I have chosen you." In John chapter fifteen and verse number nineteen, he says, "If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but uh, ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you." Jesus chose these guys. He loved these guys. He wanted to spend time with them. In Luke chapter twenty-two, verse uh, verse fifteen, Jesus says, "And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." He earnestly desired to eat the Passover with these guys. He wanted to spend time with these guys. He knew what was coming, and he wanted to be with them, having loved his own. Scripture says he loved his own. These thirteen guys—you have to remember—these thirteen guys have been together for over three years. They lived together, they walked together, they talked together. Jesus protected them. He watched over them. He provided for them. He encouraged them. He reprimanded them when he needed to. He strengthened them. He he was with them day and night. Remember, at least four of these guys were fishermen. At, Jesus had to sit around the fire and endure fishermen stories. You know how fishermen are, don't you? I mean, Jesus had to endure those. He was there. He loved these guys. He wanted um, to be with them. And it says there that he loved them to the end. Um, That word end is um, a very important uh, verse, or a very important word. It means termination, the limit. Um, So it it wasn't that Jesus picked the point and he stopped loving them. He loved them to the uttermost, other versions say. He loved them to the utmost. Well, I, I, I looked at that, and the, um, the, uh, uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon said that about the word that's, that's used there, telos. It says, in, in Greek writings, it's used always to, end of the, to the end of some act or state, but not of the end of a period of time. It was the end of an act or a state. Well, what was that end? What was the, com- the completion of what event? The, it was the redemption of their souls. Christ was going to pay the price for them one day uh, in a, just a, a very short period of time. Um, and we see in, verse number, uh, in John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus was going to define what this love to the uttermost was. Because it says, A greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. He wanted to, he, he wanted to show them that he loved them to the uttermost. In John chapter, in this chapter, verse number 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Jesus loved these guys and he wanted to spend time with them. In every instance, in, this, in these verses, in this verse that I read, in these other verses, the, the Greek word there is agapeo, the verb for love. It's the, it's the verb form of the noun agape. It uh, He loved these guys. It was a sacrificial, self-denying love, and He loved these guys. In in John chapter 17, in Jesus' prayer to the Father, 14 out of the 27 verses were for His disciples. Jesus prayed for these guys. He loved them, and He wanted them, He wanted to be with them. But our Lord still had things to teach them. He still had things He wanted to tell them before he, He went to the cross. In verses 2 through 11, after the supper had begun, Jesus did something very special. The Bible says He got up, took off his, his outer garment, girded Himself with a towel, filled a basin with water, and He washed their feet. Now, that, 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 that's significant enough. But in verse number 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, that he, that, and that He was come from God and went to God... Our Lord Jesus Christ had all power, all authority, right then, right there. It wasn't anything new to him. John chapter 3, he talked about this authority, but he had it. And what did our Savior do with it? He washed guys' feet. He washed guys' feet. He tells them why. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, he tells us, but in the middle of it, it's really interesting. It's cool. Jesus used this time. Even in washing these guys' feet, he gave us a spiritual lesson. Because when he came to Peter, remember, Peter said, wait a minute, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, yep. You don't understand it, but you'll get it. It'll come to you. You'll understand eventually. And Peter said, nope, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no place with me. What was Peter's response? I'll wash everything. Wash it all. That's good with me. Well, what did Jesus say in verse number 10? Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. What was Jesus saying? He said, Peter, if you've been washed, if you've been saved, you don't have to get washed every time. You only have to get washed once, And how do we know that? Well, Jesus used two Greek words for wash in that same verse. The, the, the first word is, is luo, and it means wash or to bathe. Fully bathe yourself, like, like getting in a bathtub and washing your entire body. And that's what he uses in the, in the first part of, of verse 10. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. You don't have to do that over and over. You only washed once. And that's why the Scripture tells us, Jesus wants to present himself a church. In, in Ephesians 5, 26, he says he, he wants to present them who is washed by the water of the word. Titus 3, verse 5 tells us that when we are saved, we're saved by the washing of regeneration. You're washed once. Folks, you don't have to accept Christ as your Savior one time. You don't have to do it over and over. But Jesus went on to say, yeah, but you do have to wash your feet. In, that, in our daily walk with Christ, in these guys, in their walk with Christ, your feet get dirty. You have to have that daily confession. You have to have that daily time with the Lord to clean your feet, but not your whole body. So Jesus made that very beautiful spiritual lesson, and He gave it to all of us. But then He, 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 he told them, why did Jesus do this? In verses 12 through 17, Jesus uh, and also, I forgot to say this, but when, when uh, all authority had been given to him by the Father, Jesus wanted to make sure these guys understood that. Because in verse number 13, he says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. He said, If I am then your Lord and Master, and have washed your feet, ye ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Jesus did it, uh, washed the disciples' feet for a reason. He was giving them an example. He said, Guys, if I'm your Lord and Master, and you're right, I am, if I'm willing to do that, you better be willing to do it too. The, uh, Charles uh, John Ellicott said of this passage, With the full consciousness of his supreme power and divine origin and of the divine glory to which he was about to return, yes, because he was conscious of all this, he left his disciples an example of the self-denial, which is the necessary outcome of love. He wanted to show them that agape love that we just talked about. That's what agape love is all about. is sacrificial, self-denying love. He also taught them that, that uh, talk is cheap. Anybody can say they love. But in, in verse number 15, I said, he said, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. In verse number 17, he says, and ye know these things, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. It's one thing to say you love the Lord, but do you show it? And that's what, that's what Jesus was trying to get across to these guys. Because if you look in Luke chapter 22, at some point during this whole supper, in verse number 24, the Bible says these guys were arguing over which one of them was going to be the greatest. And can you imagine that at that point these guys are arguing with each other? Maybe it was where they were seated at the table. I don't know. But then all of a sudden they realize their Savior is washing their feet. I would think that put the squash on any kind of pride they had. But Jesus showed them the sacrificial love that's why 1 John 3:18 says, "My little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth." If you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7, it's the definition of agape love and you'll see that there are no speaking parts. It's all due. it's all showing that sacrificial agape love that Jesus wanted his disciples to see. But then in verses 18 through 30, he says, um, um, in verse number 18, it says, I speak not of you all, because he said ver, up in verse number 10, ye are not all clean, uh, uh, not all. In verse number 11, he says, you are not all clean. Well, who he was talking about? He was talking about Judas. Judas was there. Ju- Jesus washed Judas's feet. But then he goes on, he he tells these guys, I speak not of you all. I know whom I've chosen, but that the Scripture might be fulfilled that he eateth bread, with he uh, hath lifted up his heel against me. And and so he references back to Psalm 41, verse 9. He's using that scripture, which isn't isn't particularly uh, 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 prophetic. He uses that. He said that the scripture might be fulfilled. And, And in verse number 9 of Psalm 41, David says, My friend lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus was fulfilling Scripture here, and he wanted them to know that. It, scripture was being fulfilled right here with these guys. Um, in verse number 21, Jesus, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Jesus was troubled in his spirit about Judas's betrayal. Why? Because he loved Judas. He'd been with Judas for three years. Judas was his friend. And when Jesus said that, if you, if you read through that passage, the, the other disciples want to know who it is. So Peter looks over, because the Bible says John's sitting right next to Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, has his head on, his, on Jesus' chest. And Peter looks over at John and goes, hey, ask him who it is. So Jesus goes, I mean, John goes, uh, Lord, who is it? And Jesus um, tells him, he says in verse number 26, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. So he tells them that Jesus, that he said, he told John. He just told John. He was sitting there right next to him. And he tells him um, that it's the guy that I dip my bread into the sauce and hand it to. And the Bible tells us that in verse 27, that as soon as Jesus does, uh, does that, Satan enters Judas and he takes off. Now, why? Well, Judas, uh, Judas looked in Jesus' face and, re- and refused what Jesus was doing. The sop was given to one out of, out of a sign of honor, out of a sign of friendship and love. One commentator likened it to somebody toasting somebody at a party. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. But, but Judas rejected it. And as soon as he did, Satan entered his heart and he left. And Jesus tells him in verse 27 that thou doest, do quickly, get it done, hurry up, do what you got to do. So Jesus realizes what's being done. Um, and he knew that everything was in motion. Everything was in motion now leading to the cross. But what happens? The next two verses, five times, five times in the next two verses, in verses um, 20, 31 and 32, as soon as, Jesus, as, soon as uh, Judas took off, uh, in verse number 30, Jesus says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him... Uh, uh, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Five times Jesus talked about glory in two verses. One commentator said the world looked at the, at the cross and could only say humiliated, disgraced, cursed. Jesus looked at the cross and knowing what be, would be accomplished at it could truthfully say glorified. Folks, we need to remember our Lord Jesus Christ didn't go to the cross as a victim. He went to the cross as a victor. He already was victorious, and he knew it. He knew that the price was going to be paid once and for all. This is why he came to earth. Luke nineteen ten, Mark ten forty five. Jesus says, "Luke nineteen ten, for the the for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost." In Mark ten forty five, he says, "For the for even the Son of Man came not to be to be ministered to." but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Christ knew why he was here, and this was his time. It was time for him to pay the price for us. And if you read Luke, uh, John 6, 37 through 40 and Acts two twenty-three, we find out that it was God's will too. God the Father wanted this done because he loved us, and he knew we were in a pickle. We were in uh, 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 narrow straits, and we couldn't uh, pay ourselves out. We couldn't pay the price. So he sent his son to do it. This was God's will. In verse 33, Jesus says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. I said that for two reasons. One, Jesus tells his disciples he's taken off. And he says, just like I told the Jews, and you can see that in John 7.34 7.34 and John 8.21, Jesus told the Jews, where I'm going, you can't go. Well, he tells his disciples the same thing. But he calls them little children. Now, if you've been paying attention as we've been going through 1 John, John says that a lot. It's, it, it's a term of endearment. It's the only time this phrase is used in, used in the Gospels. And Jesus said it to these guys. He loved these guys. John uses it nine times in 1 John. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a word, it's a phrase that, that shows loving and care, care and concern. It's a word of tender intimacy. It's just like a father talking to his kids. He loved these guys, and he wanted to make sure he knew that, they, that they knew that. Earlier in this message, I, we read uh, verse 34. But why would Jesus say that? A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, in verse number 35, one of the key verses. Folks, there are ways that the the world can tell we're Christians. It's not by loving them. Should we love the world? Sure. It's not by loving the church. We love the church. Sure. I mean, the building, we love this place. We love other people. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, but Jesus narrows it down. In verse 35, he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Folks, that's a telltale sign of a Christian. When we show love to each other, should it surprise us then? if we see so much division in the church today, don't you think Satan would want to go directly against this verse and stick it in our ear and make everybody fight and cause division? Of course he would. I've told my Sunday school class, uh, Satan would rather cause division in the church than open a new brewery. Because he knows it would, it would go directly against this scripture and make the world go, wow, these Christians, yeah, they really love each other. That's really good. But that's exactly what he wanted us to do. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, the Bible says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. You know what the last one is? He that saw a dis- discord among his brethren. God hates that. Why? We're suppo- that's the way we show the world who we are. Because Jesus said in verse 34, I love you. Now, you love, you love each other, and when you love each other, you'll show the whole world to whom you belong. You belong to me. At the end of the chapter, in verses 36 through 38, good old Peter, he, doesn't, he just doesn't quite get this, because he says, you know, Lord, in verse 36, whether, uh, he said, why did you say, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards? Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter said, Lord, I will go. I, I, I want to go with you. I'll lay down my life for you. What was Jesus' response? Really? Really? That's what he says in verse 38 and in his way, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Really, Peter? Well, you know, I think Peter was sincere. Just a few chapters from now, in John 18, verse 10, he cuts off Malchus' ear. You know, J. Vernon McGee said that's why Peter was a fisherman and not a swordsman. He missed Malchus's head and got his ear. I always liked that. But Peter was willing to fight for Jesus. But Jesus tells him in verse thirty-eight, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto thee, the cock shall not crow until thou hast denied me thrice, three times." He said he tells Peter you're going to deny me. Now this is not very long. It's in the same chapter, John chapter 18, not long after verse 10, Peter does just that. He couldn't have conceived that, but he did. But now you have to picture at the end of this chapter that we we see one of the one of the 12 has had Satan enter into him and he takes off. Well, they most of the apostles didn't know that because the, the, uh, from what I read, Peter said, nope, you're not going. I'll, I'll stop you. But John knew, but he didn't do anything about it. But these guys, one of theirs took off. They had no, they had no idea why. Jesus said, oh, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. And then he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. Now, I'm sure these guys are you know, kind of reeling from all this. I would be. I mean, these guys have been together for three years, and now all of a sudden they hear this. So, the, what the, the very first words in the very next thing that Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. The first words in John chapter 14 were Jesus trying to calm his, his disciples' troubled hearts. He said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, if you, and, and, and the, the, the word um, belief there is an active believe. Believe in God, believe in me. It's an act of belief. It's trust. He says, if you trust in God, trust me. You you, um, you um, can trust me. And he says, and, and how does he try to calm their fears? It, he does it by telling them of a future reunion. He says, in, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. What a beautiful statement. You know, Jesus told his disciples right then, I want you to be with me. I want you to spend eternity with me. I want you to be where I am. You know, we talked in John chapter 17 about Jesus' prayer for the disciples. But starting in verse 20, Jesus prays for the church. He prays for us. And what does He say in in John chapter 17, in verse number 24? He says, Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me. For Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world." Jesus was telling His Father, He said, Father, I want them to be with Me. I want them to see Me in all My glory. Folks, you know Jesus Christ wants to live eternity with you. He wants you to be with Him. That's why He came. That's why He came to pay the price for us on, on the cross. He wants us to trust in Him, and He wants us to live forever with Him. He, he went to prepare a place for us, and He's trying to calm his his disciples' uh, hearts by telling them this. In verse number four, he says, And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, wait a minute. Jesus just told these guys, I'm going, and you can't go. You you can't go. But now he says, um, you know where I'm going, and you know the way to, to, to get there. Well, good old Thomas. I think we all owe uh, owe Thomas uh, uh, a thanks when we see him. Hey, Thomas, thanks for clearing this up for us. Because Thomas, in the very next verse, Thomas says, wait a minute, we don't know where you're going. And how do we know the way? Thanks, Thomas because we get one of the greatest verses in Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's sitting up there in this upper room at the table telling these guys this. And he he tells Thomas, Thomas, the way to God isn't through a path, isn't through a process, it's through a person. It's me. It's me. I am the way. J. Vernon McGee, again, called this this one verse the gospel in a nutshell. Then in in verses 7 through 15 of John chapter 14, Jesus talks about oneness with the Father. He says in verse number 7, He said, "If uh, If ye had known me, ye would have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. It, Lord, j- just show us the Father. That'll satisfy us. You know, poor Philip, he, he hadn't been listening very well because just back in chapter 12, in John chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. He just said it. Not long before that. And Philip said, hey, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. What was Jesus' response? Oh, come on. Come on, Philip. Have I been with you so long that you haven't seen it? That you haven't understood it? He says, have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He said, come on, Philip. And he says, he says here, he goes on right after that and says, look at the works that I've done. Come on, Philip, you've been there. You've seen it all. You understand. You get it. But Jesus was codifying what, what Colossians 1.15 tells us. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus, our Savior, who being the brightness of His glory, God's glory, and the express image of His person. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Just a few chapters before this, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. You know, they, 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 they say that if you ever miss something in Scripture, in the Gospels, just count on the Pharisees. Don't, they'll, they'll bring it out. They'll bring it to light for you. Well, right after verse 30, they go to stone him, right? Why? Because of what he said. These guys knew what he said. He says, I and my Father are one in nature, and we are different persons, but we are one in the same, one in power, one in authority. And that's what Jesus is telling Philip, uh, saying to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't have to see anything else. So he goes on to tell them there in verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Everything that we do as Christians is supposed, is supposed to glorify God. Everything. And that's why he said, if you ask anything in my name, you'll get it because it will glorify the Father. He says in, in verse number fifteen or 14, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But then he says in verse 15, this little verse, if you love me, keep my commandments. In verse number 15, Jesus says once again, talk is cheap. If you love me, do what I say. And then right the, the very next verse, he, gives the, he introduces the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And why? Look in verse 16. He said, well, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. These guys are troubled. Remember what verse one said? Jesus is trying to tell these guys, hey, I will pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. He says, I, "And and and when he comes, he will be with you, and he shall be in you. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you." These guys were these guys were scared, and he says, "I'll give you another comforter, another one." That means there's more than one. Yeah, Jesus. You know the 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 Greek word for for comforter here is the exact same Greek word as we see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, <clears throat> that's where, where John says, You little children, uh, these things have I spe- I, I, has I, ha- that I've said unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate and the word comforter is the exact same word. So, we do have more than one comforter. But Jesus is trying to tell these guys hey, I know you know I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you somebody else, somebody just as good, another comforter. And he won't, not only will he walk with you and be with you, he'll be in you. He'll be in you. And, folks, that's the privilege that we have today as Christians, too. We have the Holy Spirit. He not only walks beside us, the, the, the word comforter means summoned call to one's side, especially call to one's aid. The Holy Spirit will lead these guys into a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth and give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of their Lord. Jesus was prepping them. He was saying, guys, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter's coming and He will be with you. And Jesus says in verse number 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The Greek word for comfortless, orphaned. He goes, guys, you may think that I'm leaving you high and dry here, but I'm not. I'm not. The Holy Spirit's coming and he'll be with you. I won't leave you by yourself. So then Judas, in verse number 22, Judas, uh, Scripture makes it plain, not Iscariot. That Judas is gone. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not to the world? Well, goes right back to love. In verse, verse number 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come into him, and make our and we will make our abode... With him Wow, talk about a trifecta it says if you love me, you'll do what I say you'll love me, if you love me you'll keep my my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. so you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you've got the Father, God the Father and God the Son coming and, and, and abiding with you. I think that's pretty good. That should be a comfort. It is to me. That's me. That's you if you have Christ as your Savior. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Father and the Son there with you because why? They know you love them. They know you love the Son. And how do they know that? You do what He says. You keep His words. And in verse 24, makes it pretty plain, if you don't love me, you won't. You know, a good sign of love is obedience. And that's what this is talking about. Talk is cheap. You can say you love somebody, but how do you show it? Can you show it? Do you do what the Lord tells you to do? In verse 25, he says, I'm telling you these things because I'm still with you. I'm still present. But in verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He says, when I'm gone, the the truth isn't going to stop coming. The comfort isn't going to stop being given. The Holy Spirit's going to be here. And He will teach you all things. And He will help you remember what I've told you. So the Holy Spirit's going to be there to take care of them. And the last word of encouragement that our Savior gives these guys before they leave this upper room, because we see in verse number 31, He says, Arise, let us go. They take off. They leave. But before they leave, He gives them one more word of encouragement in verse number 27. After He gets done talking about the Holy Spirit, the work that the Holy Spirit's going to do, what does He say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he goes right back to verse number one. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Christ offers the thing, the, the one thing, the big thing that the world cannot give, and it's peace. It's the peace that only our Lord Jesus Christ could provide. Another way of saying my peace is the peace that is mine. Jesus said it's my peace. It's peace that I will give to you. It's a peace that has been put to the test. It's a peace that's unparalleled by the world. As a matter of fact... Philippians 4, 7 talks about this. Philippians 4, 6 tells us how to pray. Be careful for nothing. Man, let it all hang out. Say it. Give everything to him. Give him everything you've got. And then what does the next verse say? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He said, would you come and give everything to me? I will give you the peace that nobody can even understand. It surpasses all knowledge. It's the peace that I will give you. It's the peace of God. This peace is so important that if you go to the end of chapter 16, after they they leave here, chapters 15 to 16, most believe they're walking on, on the trail. They're walking to Gethsemane. And the last words that Jesus says to His disciples before He prays As they get to Gethsemane, chapter 17 is all a prayer. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Folks, you've heard it said. People have said it. I've heard it a hundred times, at least. I've read the last chapter. We win. Folks, you don't have to go to Revelation 22 to find out we win. You can go to John 16, Jesus says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Folks, he hadn't been to the cross yet. He said, guys, I've already won. Why? Because he knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen. And these guys didn't understand it yet, but they were going to get it. It was a peace that only he could provide. It's a peace that will definitely calm a troubled and fearful heart. Our Lord's teaching here in the upper room was to give His disciples His own confidence and strength to face the coming trial and the fear regarding the death and resurrection of their Master and His soon departure. But folks, that that was the immediate context of these chapters. The broader context, it's us. Everything that our Savior told these guys applies to us. Why? Because if you have Christ as your Savior you're his own too. We were bought with a price. We were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We read it today in Sunday school, 1 Peter 1:18 and 19. Now, you weren't redeemed with silver and gold, vain traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Folks, Christ paid for us. That's why we can't do whatever we want. We've been bought with a price. But that means we're His. That means we're His. We're His own too. And these same promises, all this stuff happened up in that room that night as they were were partaking of the Passover. All this. But the same thing that He told them, the same promises, the same admonitions, the same truth, the same encouragement, the same peace also carries to us through the trials that we face in our lives. Folks, we see how our country's going. I think we're going to need this peace. And it's a peace that will separate us from everybody. The world won't get it. They won't understand it. They'll see us and they'll say, how come? Oh man, then we get a chance to be a witness for Christ. But it's the same thing that we can have in our lives today. It's the same peace It will help us to stand up in the face of trials, not be ashamed of our Savior, and serve Him faithfully. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time together in Your Word. Father, we focus on, on the instituting of the Lord's Supper, and we should. It's important. But Father, we see all these other things that happened as well. Lord, things that can encourage us. These poor disciples, they had no idea what was coming. And they were troubled. They were scared. They were agitated. They were angry. They were confused. And Lord, there are times in our lives when we're the same. But Lord, you give us—you gave us these things in these two chapters to help calm our troubled hearts too. You gave us these things, Lord, to strengthen us and encourage us to stand.